we were talking about, you know, the Seven Rocks. Yep. And when I was kind of going through like a different transformation a couple of years ago, um, one of the things I really thought about was like, what are my core values? Like I really need to define what my core values as a human are. Mm -hmm. Because that's like what I can convey to people, like what I need, what, like what I need to convey what's important to me, what's important for my business, what's important for my family, what's important for my friends. So my, I distilled my core values down to four things, caring, compassion, integrity, attention to detail, and accountability. Mm. And accountability is one of the things that's so important to me. And you're right, it's exactly what it is. The Seven Rock Life Show is about stories that inspire with people that you will admire, learning to develop new chapters in life, learning from the past, but letting the old stories expire so it gives room for the new stories you create. Our brand is about three things, victorious in your life, contributing to society, and having fun along the journey. Seven Rock Life is a lifestyle that inspires and gives back with a mission to impact the world one life at a time. I'm your host, Steven Zerko. Thanks for tuning in and being part of this journey. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to Seven Rock Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Mazurko, and we are here on an amazing afternoon. I have my good friend, Darsh Mudgill, here, and uh, he is a dermatologist. He is the Gary V of medicine uh, for social media. And uh, it's so excited to have you here, man. It's great to be here, man. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm, I'm a big fan of yours, and I'm really excited to have this great conversation. Man. I'm a fan of yours, too, because you aspire to inspire. That's the goal, man. Yeah. Goal. Oh, aspire to inspire. Aspire to inspire. That's yeah. Right. So it's exciting. And we were just talking before, and it's really cool because getting to see just, you know, through some of the friends that we have, mutual friends, and seeing um, how you've mixed inspiration with being a doctor, because I think doctors are inspiring. And you probably, your story is, is awesome because you've been through, you know, different things in life that has shifted you and molded you uh, to be who you are today. Uh, you know, 10 years you've been in, in the practice now for and stationed in New York City and, uh, you know, the Mecca of the, of the world. So, um, you know, excited. I would love to hear just, you know, with the audience and everybody out there, just how you got into wanting to be a doctor and what, you know, what, what got you down that route? Yeah, man. Well, it's great to be here. And you're right. You know, life teaches us so many things. As long as you're open to looking at what life is teaching you, you know, and, and, and it's easy to let those little lessons pass by. And it really takes some introspection and, you know, some, some down times to really kind of figure out what the meaning of an individual life or what your purpose really is. And, uh, you know, for me, going into medicine was kind of just drilled into my head since I was a little kid. Like, if you ask any of my friends when I was like four or five years old, many of whom I'm actually still friends with, they'll tell you, like, when you asked me like, what I wanted to be when I grew up, the answer was always a doctor. Um, yeah. Is that because you're being in Indian culture? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, Doctor, yes. finances, or what's the other one? Oh, it's pretty much, it's it's doctor number one for most like <laughs> Indian families. And then, yeah. Then, and, and then any other profession, you know, I would say is secondary to that. Um, yeah. But yeah, so for my mom, my mom has an amazing story. Like really, she's one of the most inspirational people that I think anyone could ever meet. And she's, she's a single parent. Um, she suffered through a very tough marriage and, you know, in the seventies she got divorced and she had two boys and, you know, in, in the Indian community, it was very, very unusual to get divorced. Um, very unusual. I mean, it still is very unusual. In is arranged marriage still? Yes. I mean, my mom didn't quite have an arranged marriage. She met my dad in med school. Um, but yeah, arranged marriage is sort of like a thing. It's almost like 
it's not quite arranged, but you know, it's like family, friends, and you know, the community that you have is a lot of times where you find your spouse. Um, of course, those things have changed as time has gone on. Why is that? Where did that stem from? It's just a cultural thing, man. It's like a cultural thing in India. You know, like it's it's like when mar- when folks get married, it's the marriage of families, and you know, so a lot of culturally, you know, you kind of have to, you want to vet the person that your child is going to marry just because it's a union of families, you know, so it's just, yeah. and, and, and some of that is carried down from generation to generation. Um, I would say like, you know, for us, it wasn't really that big of a deal, you know, um, and for our kids, it'll be less of, of a deal, you know, as the generations go on, that sort of culture gets diluted. But, um, but you know, f- going back to like what inspired me to be a doctor, you know, my mom, being, she was a government doctor. Um, she worked for the VA hospital in Brooklyn, and it was a very humble life. It wasn't like the baller doctor that you think of, like in the eighties. Like she had a very modest lifestyle, and we had a very modest upbringing. But her being a doctor enabled her to raise her two boys and escape, you know, like a dreadful marriage. Hmm. And so for her, her whole goal for us, and this is all she used to tell us when we were growing up, is you boys need to be able to stand on your own two feet. You know. You, you have to stand on your own two feet. You have to stand on your own two feet. That was like the one thing she always wanted for us. And for her, the way that we could do that is by being doctors. So for my brother and myself, that was just drilled into our heads because in her mind, she wanted us to be able to be independent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just because her life, that's what enabled her to do that. That's what she wanted for us, you know. And of course, you know, like in her mind, and I think this is true, like, you know, being a doctor is a very noble profession. You give your patient's honest advice, you know, there's nothing in it for you, like where in some other professional fields, you know, the advice you give can sometimes be tainted by what your personal goals are, like if you're in finance, you're an attorney, or whatever it is. Um, But, you know, when you're a doctor, it's you're giving pure advice to your patient, you know, that's what they're there, that's what they're there for, that's what's your job, you know. So she always viewed it as like a very noble, honorable field, and you know, I agree. And uh, interestingly enough, like, I... Even though I was forced into it, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Like you know, it's just kind of like drilled into me, and you know, I can't. I can't imagine having any other job. You know, like it just seems like I was built to be a doctor. Yeah, yeah. that was that's what you enjoyed. That was your medicine to, to who you are. Was there yeah. any people that inspired you in the beginning to like that you saw that made you want to um, to be a doctor? Yeah. Um, yeah, my mom, I would say, just because there was always like around the house, like you know, medical journals and like you know. Her stethoscope and you know the blood pressure cuff and it was just the stuff I used to mess around with, steth- you know like just playing around with her stethoscope, you know just listening to my own heart and those types of things. You know when you're a kid, it's just you know it's fascinating, you know. Yeah. And uh, get those Toys R Us kits and you're like yeah, you're but I had the real I had the real shit, man. I had like, the real <laughs> stethoscope, the real blood pressure. I remember one time we had like one of those mercury filled blood pressure cuffs, which I don't Did have really? anymore. Yeah. And I, I unscrewed the top and I like blasted mercury like all over the place when I was like six years old. Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, everything was fun, but I survived. <laughs> Mercury's it. good for you though, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, back then it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it was just always around, you know, we always had like the, you know, the swag from pharmaceutical companies, like the pad that we would like, you know, take our, you know, the phone messages on was like some, whatever, like, I don't even remember what it was, but some drug company and like the pens were all like drug company pharmacy pens and it was just everywhere when I was growing up, you know? Yeah. And it was just, you know, I don't know. That's just being around that I think just inspires you latently. Absolutely. Have you seen a big shift in like the whole medicine world over the past 10 years? Yeah, it's changed, Jen. It's changed a lot. I mean, you know, insurances are like, it's, it's, 
the, the, the model for patients being seen has changed a lot. Insurance companies really dictate a lot of what that is. You know, reimbursements change, what's covered changes, what medications are covered. I mean, fortunately, like for what, what I do, I'm sequestered from a lot of that just because I do, you know, I do a lot of cosmetic. I'm being a dermatologist, I do a lot of like cosmetic stuff and stuff that's outside of the realm of insurance. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for I still see like regular patients and do skin cancer treat, uh, screenings and treat skin cancer and treat acne. And, you know, those are all insurance-based visits. And, you know, as time goes on, like, you know, the insurance is, it, it's, it's, you know, not to talk politics, but it's kind of a bad model when there's like a middleman dictating what patients can get and what, do, you know, off the doctor's back, essentially. So different than other fields, like when you're a doctor, you render a service and then you submit the, you've already seen the patient, like the work has already been done. Then you submit the charge to the insurance company and, you know, they can literally say, no, we're not going to pay for that. You know, that's crazy. I mean, no other field is like that. You know, I mean, literally no other field is like that. You know, think about it. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty screwed up model. And, you know, like when a CEO of an insurance company is making like hundreds of millions of dollars, but patients aren't getting care mm-hmm. or they're, you know, they're, they're restricted from getting the care that they need, which is quite often the case, you know, something's wrong. So, you know, it is kind of a broken system. I don't know exactly what the fix is. And, you know, again, I'm not going to get into the politics <laughs> of it all because it gets pretty heavy, but it has changed and it's, and it's getting, you know, that part of it. Even in my career, I see that it's getting worse. Yeah. And I think also when you look at how much things cost and how lifestyles have changed and grown and then, you know, finances for people are tighter than ever. But then then you have people that say they can't afford it, but they have to pay us as a penalty. Do you agree with that? You know, where like no. making it in an insurance, uh, like, a, like a must? No, I don't necessarily agree with that either. I mean, I... I've, I do think that there needs to be some kind of government safety net for healthcare, though. So I think some sort of universal coverage is ideal. You know, yeah. should, it should just be like a. I mean, it's just the right thing for folks if they're sick to be able to get the help that they need. You yeah, know? yeah. Does Canada? There's, Canada has that. Canada has it. You know, England has it. You know, it, yeah. a lot. And of, it runs. It runs well, right? Yeah, I mean, so there's like there's problems with that also. You know, I mean, there's no system is perfect. But I think it's a much more perfect system when you're sick and you need to see a doctor that you can. Yeah. Whereas like you have to think about like, oh my God, how am I going to pay for this? Or I can't afford to go to the doctor. And you know, a lot of times like that, when you're seeing those initial symptoms, whatever your illness is, it's a lot cheaper and easier to fix it then than when, you know, shit hits the fan and like you're really, really sick. And then, you know, a lot more drastic measures that are a lot more expensive, require a lot more resources or what's really needed, you know? Yeah. It's almost like, you know, if there's a leak in your house, just one pipe is affected, you fix the pipe rather than the pipe exploding and destroying everything. Destroying everything, yeah. And I think that's what's great about maintaining your body and, you know, hitting that that area of life, your health, because I think we live in a very curing society, not a maintaining society, and we wait for things to happen before, and, you know, you're you're in great shape, and I would love to hear more of your fitness journey, because you were saying before you... Uh, change you had a, a big uh, change over the past couple of years yeah so you know it's it's amazing to me so my journey through fitness has been one of the most just mentally transformative experiences of my life um, because truly I have the worst genetics for fitness I mean Indians are not known to have like, great <laughs> fitness genetics and yeah, you're pretty jacked. if I was able to accomplish what I've done like, literally anybody can do it and then that's a that's a fact man like it's mm. Anybody could do it. So I was, uh, I was always like a kind of like a skinny fat 
kid, you know, so I was like skinny and like I would look skinny, but I was kind of flabby. I wasn't very muscular. And, and to be perfectly honest, like when I was in like junior high school and high school, like you'd see these guys at the pool that were like jacked and had like six packs. And I was like, holy shit, like how, how come I don't look like that, you know? Yeah. And I always envied that. Like I always I was like, wow, that's, it would be so amazing. Like, you know, just from a pure vanity perspective to like be able to have like this great body, you know? And, um, you know, I kind of like fluctuated. So, you know, I was like in college, I lost some weight. I was never fat, you know, like mm-hmm. you'd never look at me and say, hey, this guy's like out of shape. But I was always flabby. Like I never wanted to have my shirt off because, you know, I was like soft looking, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, when I got to med, when I got, when I was in medical school, I started like running a little bit. I didn't really know what to do. So I'd run and I'd, I was like literally a skinny fat. I was like skinny, but not muscular at all. I didn't know really about lifting weights and that sort of stuff. I didn't really know what the proper way to work out was. Oddly enough, in medical school, I'm like studying the human body, but I don't know anything about nutrition and fitness. Wow. You know, and that's really, it's actually, it's lacking from medical curriculum, nursing curriculum. It's, you know, there's no real element of really learning nutrition and fitness in the proper way. And so, you know, this sort of like, you know, just kind of cycling through the years. And then, you know, literally with each kid, I gained 10 pounds. So I got to the, I have three kids. So this is like going to like 2011. 2012, I was 196 pounds and like 20% body fat. I actually measured myself. I, I met with a trainer and I said, you know, like, I have to get into shape, you know. And I'd been working out with trainers off and on before that, but never really in a regimented But what way. sparked you? Was it just like enough is enough? A bet with my brother-in-law. So, <laughs> and always. So, well, I was always working out with a trainer, right? So when we moved to Long Island from New York City in 2012, the summer of 2012, I went to the Equinox in Roslyn, Long Island, and I said, you know, I need to hook up with a trainer here, you know? And I was really out of shape. So I was 196 pounds, 20% body fat then. Thanksgiving of that year, my brother-in-law, who was in tremendous shape at one point in his life, like literally just like ripped, you know, jack guy, he had fallen out of shape through the years too, you know? So... We were sitting on Thanksgiving, and I had a scotch, like, sitting literally on my belly, and he had a beer, like, sitting on his belly. We are sitting on the couch, and he just looked over to me. He's like, dude, like, what's happened to us? Mm. You know, he's, and he's like... How old were you at the time? I was 10... It was 2012, so, um... 37? 37. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he said, let's make a bet. Let's see who's going to get into the best shape by Memorial Day. All right, so it's like a six-month challenge. Yeah, everybody gets in shape yeah. for Memorial Day. So I told, I told my trainer, his name is Rasan Robinson, who's like one of my best friends. I said, dude, I got to like, this is the deal. Like, I got to get into like really good shape on Memorial Day. So he actually really helped me like dial in my nutrition, which I've never, I'd never done before. I never really like watched what I ate. I was like, oh, I want to eat healthy. But what is that? You know? Yeah. So I literally bought a scale from Amazon. I used to weigh my food. I measured exactly how many carbs I was eating, how much protein I was eating, how much healthy fat I was eating. And I went from 196 pounds, 20% body fat to 154 pounds. That's amazing. 8% body fat in six months. Six months. I looked like I was dying. Like, people would see me and, like, they'd say, oh, you look great. You lost all this weight. But then they'd, like, talk to my best friend. I was like, dude, what's wrong with him? Is he, like, dying of cancer or something like that? Because I'm 6'2", and I was 154 pounds. Yeah. But then from... You're a tall Indian. Yeah, I'm, I'm Punjabi, like the northern Indian. Oh, okay. We're, we're the tall. We're, yeah, we're tall. yeah, you're tall. <laughs> That's, you know, it's funny. That's how it is in Italy. Because my, my dad's from Sicily. He's, like, the south. So, like, you know, they're a lot shorter. I guess the more you migrate north... Is that right? Yeah, I've noticed that. that. I didn't know that. Yeah, so Um, that's interesting that you said that. Yeah, yeah, so... But you're dark, though, for, right, for being northern, or is that... Uh, I don't know, maybe a little tan, I don't know. (laughs) I'm I'm considered pretty fair, I would say, for anything. Yeah, right, Aish? 
So, but it's amazing. I mean, like how, and I think that's so relatable to life. And I want to kind of dig into that because you you were on a couch. You made a choice. It was just like enough is enough, and it was a bet. Yeah. But you had accountability, and I think that's a big thing in life. Dude, that accountability everything. that you bring to the table w- with whatever area of life that you're trying to grow in is like is what pushes you. And that's what you, would you say that's what really sparked you at that moment? It's so funny that you said that. So we were talking about you know the seven rocks. Yep. And when I was kind of going through like a different transformation a couple of years ago, um, one of the things I really thought about was like what are my core values. Like I really need to define what my core values as a human are mm-hmm. because that's like what I can convey to people. Like what I need, what, like what I need to convey what's important to me, what's important for my business, what's important for my family, what's important for my friends. So my, I distilled my core values down to four things, care and compassion, integrity, attention to detail and accountability. Mm-hmm. And accountability is one of the things that's so important to me. And you're right. It's exactly what it is. Accountability is, we all fuck up. Like, so even like when I was going through that stage of losing weight or even now, like I'm trying to bulk up, um, you know, you're going to make mistakes and things happen, temptation, you you kind of veer off your diet or your fitness, whatever it is. But accountability is realizing that you made a mistake, owning that you made the mistake and implementing a very specific personal fix to not repeat the same mistakes or the same poor patterns of behavior over and over again. So true. it requires a tremendous amount of accountability, weighing your food, um, you know, tracking everything I ate in like on my fitness pal app on my phone. And it takes a level of obsession and compulsion, but it's all, it all boils down to being accountable to what your goal is. Mm. And you know, without that, there's nothing, you know, and I'm a big believer in like saying things out loud and like, you know, really making myself accountable to what I'm telling other people. Like, Hey, you know, Steve, I'm six months from now, I'm going to be 200 pounds. 9% body fat or 8% body fat, you know, I'm putting, now you're putting it out, I'm there. putting it out there into the world. So I have to be accountable to that, you know, for me, that's my own obsession, but you know, I don't want to be like a, a guy who's known for just talking shit. Like, you know, like, no, I'm going to do this and telling as many people as possible that, yeah, that's my plan. That's my goal. What is it kind of wrap people rally around that, you know, either they rally around or they don't, you know? Um, but it, it, it requires a, a level of personal responsibility to fulfill what you're putting out into the world. Yep. You know? Yeah, and so what are the other three? So accountability is one. What are the other so three? Care, care and compassion. Treating everyone you meet with the care and compassion. That you would Walk like us a, through a more with that. A friend or that a, means a loved one. Um, so like, and for me, it kind of boils down to like a lot of with my work. So any advice that I give to a patient or anything I'm saying to my patients, it's something that I would tell a friend or a family member. You know, And the cool thing about what... You, the, you're, when you're a doctor, like your journey being a doctor, it's it, when you first start practicing, like in your mind, there's like, oh, I'm a doctor, you know, like, and there's like this sort of preconceived notion of what you're supposed to be like, you know, like as a doctor, it's like, you know, almost like you're like playing a role, you know, but the more you do it, the more you realize that you can just be yourself. Like I'm literally, this is like my visits with my patients. It's like, I'm me. I'm so much more comfortable with who I am, but that enables me to be a better doctor. And, you know, how I would, this is my interaction with the patient. Like, it's a very, you know, it's, I treat everyone as I would. You don't have an avatar. This is, this is who I am. This is, and, 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 you know, a lot of that boils down to just being comfortable in your own shoes, but it really enables me to treat everyone with this, with a degree of respect, whether it's my patient, whether it's the FedEx guy that's coming in, whether it's the guy picking up my trash or, you know, the, my dry cleaner. Anyone I interact with, it's it's the golden rule karma stuff, man. Like, you know, everyone should be treated with care and compassion because 
again, like I'm a big believer, what you put out into the world is what comes back to you tenfold. You know, yeah. so whatever positivity and good vibes you're putting out into the world, the only person, the person who's going to benefit the most from that is you. Yep. You know, so that's what care and compassion is. Integrity is just being honest. You know, so really just doing everything you do with integrity. I use like work examples a lot because a lot of this was inspired by like patterns of behavior that I was seeing in work and I was trying to like correct things that I was seeing in my office. But like for instance, integrity is like, you know, if you know like you're supposed to do like a certain job, um, but you also know that if you don't do it, someone else will kind of be a safety net and do it for you, which I see a lot, like folks kind of like skirting on whatever their specific responsibilities are, knowing that there's someone else who has a lot of integrity who will cover for that. That to me, you know, that's a that's just kind of skating the system. There's no integrity there, you know. Yeah. And again, the only person who suffers when you la- when you act in a way that's not filled with pure integrity is you, you know, because ultimately it's gonna come back and bite you in the ass. Mm-hmm. You know? So integrity is important in relationships too, you know, like in friends and you know the people you surround yourself with. You know, you want them to have integrity, you know, because your relationships are much more pure and honest that way. Um, attention to detail, man. This is a big one for me also. Like, you know, and I, and I use a lot of like, you're an athlete, so you'll appreciate these things. But, you know, there's guys like, you know, Michael Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, Serena Williams, Tiger Woods, you know, or, you know, in the music world, like, you know, John Mayer, Bruno Mars. These, these guys are so good at what they do. They're naturally talented, right? And they have a gift. But why are they so much better than other people who have that gift as well? because of the attention to detail. You know, like Kobe is like famous for like when he was practicing, he would have to sink 400 baskets before he stepped off the practice court. Or, you know, you hear the stories where he had a shitty game and if he missed a bunch of free throws or three pointers, they would fly into like, a, like whatever the next city was at like 2 a.m. and he would just tell his guy, hey, find me a gym. And he'd be in some high school gym from like three in the morning to like seven in the morning, just like trying to perfect whatever it is that went wrong in the game. And, you know, that's how you become elite amongst the sea of elite. Like, all these guys in the NBA are the best of the best, like these tremendous athletes. But why are some of them so much better than the other guys? It's not their natural gift. It's that they're putting so much more fucking work into their craft. You know, that's attention to detail, you know. And that's what's really required to become great, you know, at anything. You know, so with, with, with my fitness, you know, my transformation... It's attention to detail, man. Like literally tracking every single calorie that goes into my body in an obsessive way. If you don't do that, if you don't pay attention to those details, you have no idea, like you know, what you're eating or you're, what or even the way you exercise. All those things. Pay attention to each of those details. You know, even seeing a patient. If we're doing a surgery, or I'm a pathologist, so I look at stuff under the microscope, diagnose skin cancers, and you know. It, requires a tremendous amount of attention to detail because if you don't, you're going to fuck up. You're going to screw up someone else's life. Yeah. You know, so it really boils down to every element of, of life, you know. And then have have you, where, where did you learn this? Was it from personal experience, studying, reading, um, taking an audit of your life and other people's life? So it, that's, a, that's a really good question, man. Um, so I, I, I used to read a lot when I was in college and then I stopped reading because when I was in like school, you know, med school and, and yes, married and kids and, you know, I never really read that much outside of what I was supposed to read for school, right? There's a, I mean, I've had a couple of like aha moments throughout life. Like, um, I'll, I'll take you back. This is something I actually talk about quite a bit. When I was in college, so I got, I was kind of like a fuck up in the beginning of high school and I kind of screwed up my freshman year of high school and um, and I was never really fully able to recover from that. Although towards the end of high school, I did well, and I did well on my SATs and all that sort of stuff. 
But when I was applying for college, I literally you know, took the U.S. News and World Report top 25 schools list. I picked like 10 schools off of them, like the Ivy League schools and a couple of other schools. I got rejected from every single Ivy League school, like wow. just flat out rejected. And I got into, I think it was like University of Michigan, University of Chicago, Johns Hopkins, and Emory. Those are the schools that I got into. So I just went to Emory. I never even visited Atlanta. Never been to Atlanta in my life. Never visited the college. I literally just showed up the first day of school. Um, and, you know, I, if there's any testament to the strength of a Long Island public school education, it's like my career at Emory. I mean, I literally did nothing. I did the minimum amount. I, I, kind of, I totally gamed the system. I did the minimum amount required to get an A. I remember my first semester of college, I got like a 376, and I was like, oh, I was pretty proud of myself, so it's pretty good. I went home and showed my, my mom was like obsessed with grades, so I showed her my report card, and she's like, you know, what is this? 3.76, that's terrible. She's like, if you don't get better grades, like, you're going to come back and go to Stony Brook. Like, I'm not paying this private school education for you when you could just go to state school, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. So then after that, I never got anything less than an A. I graduated with like a 399 something, you know? And But it was easy then. I literally did the minimum amount required. Every class I took, I did the minimum amount required to get an A. It was like a game to me, you know? And I think the strength of my high school education really helped me a lot because I carried that over into college. Yeah, and I think I'm good at school like I'm good at memorizing I'm really good at memory and you know, mm-hmm. I can take tests like very well when I got to med school I had that same mentality so when in my first year of medical school everyone that since I went to Stony Brook for med school it's kid it's a class of 100 yeah see well yeah yeah so it's a class of 100 kids and 60 to 70 percent of them are from Ivy League colleges so already I'm like shit I was like these guys are all from the schools that I got rejected from you know and like this is like a real intense pool of talent, like academic talent here. And that first year, I was kind of, you know, I had the same model that I'd had in co- in college. I just kind of did the same sort of study pattern, but obviously I wasn't at the top of my class. I was like right in the middle. And, you know, I was like pretty happy. I was like, you know what? These are like really smart kids. And I'm like right in the middle of the class. Like I'm doing okay, you know? Um, and one of my buddies from college came to visit me. My, my first year, my second year of medical school. His name's Sammy Khan. He's an orthopedic surgeon now. And we went to Emory together. He was from Atlanta. And he was a really studious kid. So he would study and take everything really seriously. And, like, you know, he did great. You know, he would really learn the material. And, you know, he was a true, like, academic kid, you know. And I was the opposite. So we both got the same grades. You know, we were both known as, like, the the two really smart kids in our class, you know. Uh, But he did tons of work. I did, like, no work, right. So when he came to visit me, he asked me how, like, how med school was going. So, you know, he told me he was doing great. He was at the top of his class, kicking ass in med school. And I said, you know, I'm kind of like in the middle of my class, man, you know. And, you know, and I was like pretty happy with myself. Mm-hmm. And he literally looked me dead in the eye. This is like my, my friend, my peer, right? You know, we're the same age, been through everything together. He said, for once in your life, why don't you just try? And I was like, I mean, literally, wow. it was like, it was. Just what, hit you. Dude, I mean, I, I was like stunned you know like I was just flatline you know I was like wow it's just like you know it really hit me man hit me hard you know I think about that a lot so that next year in med school I was like all right I'm gonna I never went to class in med school I was just like they give these transcribed notes and you know just study the notes and go to class I would take the test that was it so that next year in med school I still never went to class but I studied the notes to learn it so instead of like cramming through material like reading through it like 10 times to memorize as fast as possible I would read it once, slow, like really slowly, and like literally memorize it. I have a very good memory, so I, that's something that God has given me. Um, but you I would just, have totally sit next to you <laughs> in school. Yeah, I mean, I, 
Are you here with me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All that happen all the time. Um, but the combination of using my natural God-given gift of a good memory with actually studying to learn, dude, everything changed for me. And I, it, like, you know, like it was crazy, man. I mean, it was literally crazy. Like the average on a test would be like a 60 and I would get like a 95. Like it was, it just the way it just, you got it. It just, it dude, it was crazy. And since then, so I was 23 years old then. Since then, I've applied that to every facet of my life. Like, why don't you just try? Right? Mm. And, like, I've been balls to the wall with everything. Like, people that know me now only know me as, like, balls to the wall. Like, like you know, when I started doing, like, social media, I was like, okay, cool, I'm going to post every day. I literally post every day. <laughs> you know, like, I have a full-time videographer. Like, we're always making content. Like, why not do everything balls to the wall? Yeah. You know? And it started with that conversation with Sammy Khan when I was That one spark. Years old. I think that's amazing how like you have these life moments and these these things that shift you and you remember those shifts. Yeah. Because like you could either go this way and stay where you're at or just boom it clicks, you know, it's like that one person that is watching you a scout and then you get drafted in NFL or whatever because of that one moment. Yeah. But because you were, you know, going, you know, walls to the wall, you were just like I'm going to go right at it that one moment because you were going right at it. You don't even know, but then you got that break- breakthrough. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like taking every meeting, and, and I think that's that's how you approach success in, in life and entrepreneurship and careers or whatever it is, is like, I think a lot of people will wait January 1st, I'm going to get into shape. Yeah. Why are you waiting? Right. Start now. Absolutely. Like, go to the gym. And I think we live in a society, do you think we live in a society that we're so afraid of people's opinions? Oh, totally, man. We get so, like, we're just, what is he going to think of me? What is he going to think of me? Yeah. It's, well, it's interesting that you said that. Um when I started doing all this stuff on social media, um, and I talk about I'm writing a book like I was mentioned to you, this is one of the things that I mentioned in there, I was getting a lot of pushback. Like, not, not to my face, but like, people were talking shit behind my back yeah. about like, my social media stuff, you know, like, I remember I posted like one video like with my sons that were getting a haircut, there's like this really sweet place in town and they give like these really tight fades and cool haircuts and obviously I have no hair so I have to live vicariously through my, <laughs> my boys. But I posted this really cool video, man. It's just, I still love it, you know? And I heard like just, a couple of weeks later, just like someone that was working for me who was no longer working for me was like talking to some other colleagues and just like it, it ended up coming back to me like, well, it's so weird. Like, why is he posting like shit like that? You know, it's like he's a dermatologist. And it's funny because those same people now, like two years later, are like, oh, will you, can you help me out with like Instagram, man? Or can you, can you tell me like what you're doing with Instagram? And yep. But it's so easy for that. I, I could have at that moment just said, you know what? Yeah, shit. Like people think this is weird. Like. Maybe I shouldn't do this anymore, you know? It's so easy to do that. Yep. It's so natural to do that. You know, like, of course, like, why would you want to put yourself out there um, to be to be criticized, you know? But then part of it is, like, my self-belief like, and the belief in what I was doing and what I was trying to convey was so strong that I, I channeled that rather than the negativity, you know? Yeah, well, the positive. And then look at the messages that you've gotten yeah. from people. Yeah, which is amazing, man. You're you going to broadcast on a bigger level. Yeah, I mean, like, that's what got us into podcasting with Seven Rock Life Pot, you know, with show is like, there's, there's messages and conversations that we have on here that people are like, man, like that really, that gave me wisdom, that gave me inspiration, that kept me going for the day. And you could, it could be people you'll never meet. Totally. But that one like frequency, uh, energy and, and conversation sparks you in the gym, sparks you in your drive-in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we all need. 
where you know we were talking earlier, and I would love to get into this, and this is good stuff. I'm really enjoying this a lot. Um, where you gained a lot of success early on, you you know you had your cars, you had that lifestyle, but then you were like, I'm empty. Walk us through that. Yeah, time so that was life. like. Um... So growing up, like like I said, I grew up from very humble beginnings. Like you know, anything I if I ever wanted anything, I'd have to like work for it. You know, so if I wanted like you know like whatever, cool pair of sneakers or something, like my mom wasn't gonna buy it for me. It's like I had to get a job and earn it, right? So I always had jobs growing up. I you know I delivered papers. I um, I worked as a landscaper. I valet parked cars. I worked at a pizza shop. I worked at an ice cream shop. You I mean, did I did I did everything, man. <laughs> and. I remember like when I was valet parking cars. It's such an interesting story because I valet. There's a restaurant called Mateo's in Roslyn, and I lived on the South Shore. But like all the nicer places were on the North Shore, so we used to valet park at these nice places on the North Shore because there was no valet parking at the restaurants I went to on the South, on the South Shore. So you know, it would be all these like fancy cars, man, like Porsches and like Ferraris and just like shit that like you know you're a kid, you're like a nineteen year old kid, and you're like mesmerized by these things you know it's you know i always loved cars and i was like wow it's like this is a, like a amazing kind of one day imagine if i could like have something like that you know i never even thought it would be possible you know and um i remember there's one friend of ours that her parents got divorced and she lived in our town like in a condo in our town and her dad lived in old westbury which is like a really fancy posh area and her dad was away like one weekend we had like a party at her house and I was, I'd never seen anything like this, man. Like a house that was like, you know, there's like a movie theater in the house. And it was just like, it was crazy, you know? And and, and in the back of my head, I was like, God, it's cr- like, it's crazy. Like who has this stuff, you know? Like, you know, when I was growing up, if someone had like Haagen-Dazs ice cream in their house, I thought they were rich, you know? <laughs> you know, we had like, you know, the Pathmark brand, you know? Like, seriously, it, like when we went out to eat, like we went, up, we would never go out to eat, but like Pizza Hut was like the place we'd go out to eat, you know. Yeah. Like that's and that, but you know, it was really that's my that was my world, you know. So you know, fast forward like twenty years later, I you know I had I started my practice in New York City on Fifth Avenue from scratch, like literally. Right before the market crash in two thousand eight, I literally borrowed a million dollars from Citibank, because they would lend money to doctors back then. Now it's impossible to get money. You probably know, you know, mm-hmm. like it's it, things have really tightened up. But back then, you know, the thought was kind of like a sure bet, like you know, like this was right before the market crash, man. So I was over a million dollars in debt. I bought like this space. I owned my space on Fifth Avenue, and I I totally like renovated the space, and um, and I just sat there, had no patience, you know, nothing. Like you know, for like my first week, I saw maybe two patients, and like you know, it, over the course of like years it built up and became a very busy practice and we moved out to long island in 2012 opened up another practice out here in 2015 and by you know i got to the point like by 2017 where i was like living a life that i thought was never possible you know and i thought i had arrived you know like a fancy house in a ritzy suburb of long island like a fleet of fancy cars a golf club membership i was like fuck i was like i arrived you know like i thought like everything that i I had achieved more than I ever dreamed of having, you know, like I never thought any of these things would be possible, you know, and I was living far beyond what I ever imagined for myself, you know, like, you know, and I was, it was weird. It was really a weird time. And then I was, I wasn't going to see that much. I had my office in Long Island and there was one summer in particular, this was the summer of 2017 where 
I was playing golf like five times a week. I was living this like crazy life, you know, like I was still working hard. Like when I worked, I was working really hard. I was like very fulfilled with what I was doing, but I had a lot of free time and I had a bunch of people working for me. And um, it was really an empty time. Like, you know, yeah. the success I was working so hard to arrive at, and I had surpassed what the benchmark of what I thought success was by a lot, you know, and it was an empty place, man. Like people from the outside in, like objectively, like, oh, dude, like you're killing it, you know? And you know, even some of my friends and colleagues, you know, like they're like, it's, you know, like, your life is crazy, you know? And it was, but it was, it was empty, man. And I, and I could have, I could have lived right there. I could have just lived on that plateau forever just coasted there, but it just didn't feel right. Like the grind of getting to where I was, was the fun part. You know, it's even like with the fitness stuff, like the grind of getting into shape, you don't like get into shape to get out of shape. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because you're just like, it's like when you eat healthy and then you start to eat crap, you're like, why did I just go work out? Right. Then? So it's almost like you don't grind so hard to coast. Like, like the grind is the what I like, you know? Yeah. There's um Mike Posner, and I've talked about this on a podcast a few times. He asked um one of his mentors, he said, how come there's some people that get to the top and stay up there and there's people that get to the top and, and don't yeah. don't stay there? And it was really profound when I heard this. He said, because the person that got to the top and doesn't stay there, they focused on the result and the outcome. The person that got to the top and, and, and did stay there is because they focused on the creation. The creating is what we enjoy. Absolutely. And when I heard that, I was like, boom. It's just one of the books I read was, I don't know if you read Connected to Goodness by David Meltzer. It's like, no, it's all I heard pretty, of it. It's all like the same type of stuff. So he has this thing called the arriver stage where like, you know, you get there and like, you know, like live, literally like what the, where I was living, like, you know, like get all this fancy shit, like living this baller lifestyle. Um, and you can either, very few people stay at that stage. Mm -hmm. You either fall from that or you ascend from that, you know? And so it really, like, that period, it was really short-lived. It was just a few months. But it really made me think of, like, what, like, I was 42. What do I want to do? Like, what do I want to do with my life, you know, like, I've, you know, hopefully there's another 50 years of it, you know, at that point okay. or more. And, um, you know, just all, I've had all these like sort of magical experiences in my life. These like, you know, like the conversation with Sammy, that was like this transformative thing. Um, my fitness journey, building my businesses, you know, and I, I really was like, especially with fitness, like you know, that, that notion that if I can do it, anybody can do it, you know, but people need to hear that they can do it. You know, like, I'm just like that kid. So going back to, like, when I go to, like, Mateo's now, because I live in that neighborhood, mm -hmm. you know, I remember there was, like, one time I had, like, a Bentley, and I drove the Bentley to, like, Mateo's, and I always have the guys just, I'll give them, like, 20 bucks, just leave the car, like, right in the front, you know, so it wasn't getting dinged or anything like that. And, um, you know, I was talking to, to one of the kids there, you know, who's the Valley Parker, and I, you know, it's, I told them, I was like, I was you, man. Like, I had your exact wow. job. Like, yeah. you know, I had your exact job. Like, if, if I can do it, man, I'm just like you. Like, you know, we're mm -hmm. the same, you know? Yeah, I was making 10 bucks, 15 bucks yeah. an hour. And, you know, but, but why not share that with as many people as possible? You know, like, if I can get in shape, anybody can get in shape. Okay, so, so let's, let's rewind a little bit. Going from being that kid, right, to being where you're at, what are some of the top things, three, four, five things that you think you did differently that others maybe didn't, or not just you, but what needs to be done to go from there to there in any career that you're in? When you take an, an, an audit of that, what I, the, are the, 
an obsessive amount of work. All right, so that's um, number one. So walk us through. Yeah, so it's behind any achievement, anyone who's achieved anything, it could be anything, there's such a huge grind behind that that nobody sees. Like, you know, you see me now and you're like, oh, dude, you're jacked, right? Mm-hmm. And you probably would assume that I've always been jacked. Like, you know, like that's the assumption. Like when I see someone who's in shape, I'm like, oh, they've always been in great shape, you know, like, but no, it's not the case. There's like such a crazy amount of work, seven years of grinding, man. Like, you know, tracking every fucking macronutrient that goes into my body, weighing my food. Um, you know, that's fitness. My, my building my practice is the same way. I lived in my offices, man, seven days a week. I had a total full-time job while I was building my practice. And then I had another full-time job, like when I started my own lab. So I was literally working three full-time jobs, building my practice. You know, so I was, I was funding those early lean years of my practice by working another full-time job, you know, like that's what it takes. You know, nothing is nothing. If you're handed something, if someone says, Hey, here's the keys to like this great business, it's not going to succeed. Yeah. Because you, 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 you were handed, you were given to it and you didn't know what it took to acquire that background work, the late at nights. I mean, it's, it's the same thing with when I was playing baseball, the late nights at, you know, midnight going to batting cage and doing whatever you have to do indoors, outdoors, whatever it is. Right. And it's sometimes we see the, the spotlight, you know, on social media or whatever, but we don't know behind the scenes what you do. Totally. So even take my social media, for instance, like, you know, the amount of work that goes into that is insane. Like, you know, you know, I'm not posting like just a picture. Like there's a video essentially that I'm posting every day. You know, I'm a full-time videographer who works incredibly hard seven days a week, um, you know, creating, helping me create this content. I'm very much involved in every single piece of content that goes on. I post everything myself. Wow. Um, every day I write all the copy for it, all the hashtags and all that stuff, you know. The edits of the videos themselves, I'm very, very involved in. Um, the actual what we're going to post, I'm very involved in. There's just so much... To do anything well, there's so much work that goes behind it. You have to love it, though. But I love that. Like, you know, for me, that's the best part. You know, like, coming up with, like, you know, the color scheme for whatever our banner is going to be on my next Instagram post. Like, those little stupid details, the attention to detail... That's yeah. the best part, man. I mean, that's why, like, you know, you see, like, a guy like Michael Jordan, and, you know, like, you're just like, wow, the guy's, like, it's amazing, you know, like, it, it, I wish I could be like him, you know? Um, so I think that's a big thing, being att- attention to detail, knowing, like, the things that you're doing day-to-day are in direct proportion to what you really need to do to get to your end goal. Do, it's funny, someone was just asking me this the other day, like, you know, like, kind of, like, how I do the things that I do, you know, like, all the different things that I do. And the really, you do one thing every day, you don't waver from that. Like, you know, you make a commitment to like whatever you want to be, you know, like whatever it is that you want to achieve. And you do one thing every single day that gets you closer to that goal. Yeah. And you never, never waver. Like you, like when I said I'm posting to Instagram every day, I'm posting to Instagram every single day. It doesn't matter if I'm traveling, it doesn't matter if I'm sick, it doesn't matter if I'm hungover, it doesn't matter if I was, you know, like doesn't matter like it's happening you know like never waver 
Yeah, and and that's why you've created what you've created because you've applied that principles into, you know, into every walk of your life. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And what do you think? What has been some of your um, uh, best moments of your life? I know being a dad, uh, you know, and, and having a family. I'm sure that's been a blessing, and you know, also yeah, being able to balance that. That's I mean, dude, that's the best. Yeah, you know, that, there's nothing that even compares to that. Like when my first, when my daughter was born, there's like no feeling ever that can match that you know my Mm. first child and with every child it's that you know but your first child is like your first child like you know your first time experiencing like being responsible for another life you know um and then there's this on my all of my most beautiful moments are my kids you know top 50 is like something that happened with one of my kids you know yeah nothing matches that everything else is secondary you know like any success i've had in my practice you know great moments i've had with friends or patients or that sort of stuff and there have been countless of them you know i'm very very blessed you know just i've had lots of lots of magical moments in my life yeah what what have you learned being a father you know it's funny you see a lot of yourself in your kids (laughs) you know um and (laughs) i've learned a lot about myself being a father you know because i see myself in my kids and I see some of the decisions that I made, you know, like, you know, of course everyone's like, looks back at stupid shit they did when they were a kid. Um, and I, I've learned to really empower my kids, you know, like it's, it's, I don't want to ever, I don't want them to ever feel stifled, like, you know, like that or that they can't do something. And, you know, it's cool cause they see the stuff that I do you know, they see me work because I work out at home. You know, they see me like working out. They come down there. They see how much work goes into everything that I do. But I think just you know, like how like I'm seeing my mom being a doctor kind of like pushed me to be a doctor. I think like you know they really believe, which they should, that through hard work they can do anything. Yeah, you 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 gave them hope. Yeah. And I think that's, I think I I wrote it down or was thinking of it today. Let me let me look at it real quick because it was really. Exactly with what you're just saying, and it was talking about ah change your default setting, and I thought that was so powerful because we sometimes have this default of what we're supposed to be, what our family is, but do we ever upgrade that setting to a different default? Yeah. And you have to be the person in your life, in your marriage, in whatever it is to to, to upgrade because you're waiting for your spouse, you're waiting for your family to, to change their default setting, but you're like, no, you're not going to do it. I'm going to go do it. Right. And then you became that spark for your family. Cause yeah. was there anybody else that did what you did and went to, you know, to that success? Um, I mean, there've been people in my, in my life that I've not, and you're like, but I'm saying your family. Um, you know, it's, it, it's hard to say, man. Just, you know, like so much of success is attributed to financial success, you know, and, um, and having other areas of life. Yeah, yeah, right. But but when people like just objectively like say, oh, you're you know you're so successful, mm-hmm. they you know like they're for them. So I think I've probably achieved more financial success than others in my family, but I'm not more successful than others in my family. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Because success is depending on what what area of life you want to talk about. Right. And but with your finances, with kind of creating this bigger dream and what could be acquired, you know, you've you've done well with that and continue to. Yeah, I I would say I'm probably 
uh, I'm, I'm a, a little bit more driven than the yeah. average person. Why though? What what uh what what drives uh, maybe you? Maybe it's a chip on my shoulder. I don't know. You yeah. know, like it's maybe it's like the little inner athlete in you. Maybe, yeah. I I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know what drives me. I really don't. We're gonna have to do another podcast if you don't answer this. <laughs> no, yeah. it's it's just part I, something. Of you. There's something in there, man. There's just something in there. Yeah, you know? it's probably like I'm a little crazy. I guess I don't know. It's yeah, a, it's a little craziness in there. No, it's it's good, and it makes makes a lot of sense with everything you're saying. And I think this could be applicable to anything you're doing in your career. You know, take this content. Yeah. People consume so much content, but then never go apply that content. Right. You know, and what's been some of the biggest things you've had with your patients I mean I'm sure you've been able to really do great things with your patients maybe any stories or or just things that um, that emotionally triggered you in a good way uh, with doing oh, what you're doing yeah there's just so many so many beautiful moments man I, I remember when I, this is one small story but when I, when I was a resident I was at Mount Sinai Hospital and um, there are a lot of like Orthodox patients there um, Orthodox Jewish patients um, and I remember there was this one patient that he was on the surgical service and he had this like little, and, and he, a million doctors had seen him. I was a first year dermatology resident doing consults and he had this little like ulcer on his like, on his leg and just something didn't seem right. I don't know. Sometimes you get like the sixth sense as a doctor, you know, there's like just something about like figuring something out and you know, he was, he actually like, I saw it and like just his leg was a little bit swollen I was like, you know, I think we should get like an ultrasound of this leg because you can get something called a DVT, which is a clot in the leg, and that can cause like you know fluid to build up and the skin can break down. And uh, so he ended up the end ultrasound. He ended up having a DVT. Figured the first year dermatology resident is the one who figured, figured it out. But I remember he said to me, he's like, God, you know, you really did a mitzvah. You know, he said, and he was like just so appreciative. And I've had so many of those types of experiences, like where you you know you made a diagnosis that like you know really impact, help the patient. You know, they've been bouncing around to a bunch of doctors. And, you know, the cool thing about what I do is like being a dermatologist and a pathologist, it's kind of like I'm the doctor who's seeing you clinically, but I'm also the guy who looks at your the cells under the microscope. And, you know, it kind of makes you just a better clinician, you know? So I have this like joke when patients come to see me, they've been around to like a bunch of doctors. And I, you know, I, I say, you know, listen, I'm usually the last stop on the train, you know, because that's one of the things I love doing is like figuring out this weird case and stuff and I've been fortunate enough to be able to do that throughout my career a bunch of times and um, you know it's just it, the gratitude that patients have when you're actually able to help them um, there's nothing you know there's like few yeah. things in life that, that are because that yeah, you're saving their life you're that. curing you know something for them and it's it's so rewarding it really is man yeah and do you think you can you cure outside but also inside because you have like that mindset you're giving them hope. You're giving them... Dude, I talk to my patients about everything, man. So, That's like, awesome. you know, someone comes to me for, like, acne, and they're talking about, like, losing weight. And I'm like, all right, cool. So, like, you know, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, you know, I want to eat healthy and, you know, exercise. So I was like, no, no, no. What specifically are you doing? And, you know, I'll, like, literally make a, a chart with how many macronutrients they need to have. I'll sit down with them and make some calculations and tell them, mm -hmm. okay, this is what you do. You download my fitness pal and you just go to Amazon Prime and get this little food scale and, like, you know... When you come to see me in three months, you're going to tell me how much weight you lost, you know, which is nothing to do with dermatology, but yeah, um, yeah, that's like the best shit, man. You know, like it's, it's any way you can impact someone positively, man, you know, no matter what you do. Yeah. It's, it's humans helping other humans. Yeah. And we need to, uh, remember that, you know, as a society. Yeah. She made me think of another great story, man. When I was, uh, I, there's a, there's a parking garage right by my office in New York city on ninth, on ninth street. And the guy that works there is like this, he's, this, he's, 
he's from Brazil. He's an older guy. He must be like in his 60s. Only speaks Portuguese. Doesn't speak any English at all. And, you know, the guy literally, I'd get there at 4.30 or 5 in the morning. He'd be there. I'd leave at 10 o'clock at night. He'd be there. You know, he was always there. <laughs> literally, I don't know he must have lived there. He worked so hard, this guy. And he was talking to me about, like, um, I don't know what the word is in Portuguese, but he was, like, pointing out, like, some spots on his, on his face. And I told him, I was like, you know, through, like, one of the guys speaks Spanish and, like, through, like, his, maybe he knew a little Portuguese. We kind of, like, hashed together, like, you know, the plan. I was like, just come to my office mm-hmm. and I'll do, like, a, you know, I'll take care of you. You know, so he came in, I did this, like, laser procedure on him. I mean, I was in charge of the guys, like, you know, he's like, the hardest working guy I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, totally fixed him up. He was, like, so appreciative. And that, that year on Christmas, you know, you give all the guys a bonus, you know, the guys in the parking garage and stuff. This is a guy who probably made, I'm sure they were underpaying him. He was probably, like, illegal. He was probably, like, five bucks an hour. I mean, just, he didn't have resources. For, he gave me a bottle of Blue Label. As a thank you gift. I mean, it's not insane. I mean, it literally brought tears to my eyes. You know, yeah. like, uh, you know, it's, I felt terrible that he did that, you know, but just God, like how much it meant to him for him to spend that much money. Wow. You know, like something I did, you know, it's, it was amazing, man. You know? Yeah. It's, it's rewarding when you know, like, like what somebody does for you and then, you know, you don't ask for anything back, but you just did it for the, for the, oh, yeah, the right yeah. way and the right thing. And yeah. it's it's nice when you it's nice to be important like the rock says, but it's 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 more important to be nice. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you know, and I know yeah. he's influenced you a lot I too. Love, I love the rock. So yeah, it's funny because I have like a publicist that you know, and my my tagline is like like okay, well you know describe what you do. I'm like uh, or like you know what, what kind of stuff you want to do. I was like I'm like all right, picture. Deepak Chopra meets Sanjay Gupta meets The Rock. There, work with that. Yeah. <laughs> that's you. Yeah. That's that's very good actually. That's right on point. Yeah, those are yeah, all like you know. That's all the stuff that I love. You know? yeah. yeah. No, I love it. I really enjoyed this. And what are what are some of the you know future things you know for you? So I'm working on a book. Um, it's called Let's Get It, mm-hmm. and it's basically you know uh, a hustling grind story to self empowerment using stories from my own life, but you know just to really illustrate how like, anyone can do anything as long as they put in the insane amount of work that's required. Yep. Um, obviously, my social media stuff. Um, I do some TV stuff here or there, um, so we're working on some more of that stuff. Um, and just you know, just getting the, getting the word out there, man. Spreading as much yeah. positivity as I can. I'm excited for your book to come out. Hey, it's, I appreciate it's, it, man. it's awesome being able to write and just uh, share your story and um, have the reader hear your message. Yeah. And and what's your Instagram handle? It's at dr underscore mudgill. Awesome, and we'll attach it on the bottom yeah. here. Uh, with everything so this is good stuff man you know summer rock life show uh podcast nation we we really enjoyed you know having you and i I know the audience really enjoyed everything i'm going to finish with one more question we ask this question at every at the end of every podcast so you ready for the final question let's do it so if you had a billboard for the whole world to see what would your message be to the world spread positivity why it's so powerful man you know like just like i said before the energy you put into the world comes back to you tenfold. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're putting positive positive energy out there into the world, you're going to benefit from that tenfold. And so will everybody else that you're spreading that positivity to. You know, there's a lot, especially with like social media and stuff. And, you know, just even watching the fucking news. It's like just depressing. There's just yeah. a, a lot of negative shit, you know. Yep. That's the last thing anyone needs, you know. Like, why not build people up rather than break them down, you know. Yeah, and that's that's so so good, and I think people building people is is everything, 
humankind, it's it's good to be both human yeah. and kind yeah, and all that. So, my man, give you a pound. Love it, man. Loved it. Yeah, Hope you guys fun. enjoyed this. Share this. Comment on it. And um, make sure you go out there and be the light for others. Be the inspiration and keep living that seven rock life. Love you all. Have a great week and enjoy the rest of your day. I see you broken and beat Head pulled down over your eyes Every part of you wants to surrender Darling, you were meant to survive With every snipe We are born again Open your heart Spend less time in your head with it.